Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome in to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Thursday, May 19th. Al Melchior is out this week, so this is me, Michael Beller, riding solo on a Thursday episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. You listen along, you know that Thursday is guest day on TAFBP, and today we're going to bring to you another one of our Beat Writer episodes. We've got three Athletic MLB Beat Writers joining us to give you on-the-ground knowledge about their team. So let's get rolling. We start things out in Toronto with Caitlin McGrath, our Blue Jays beat writer. Caitlin, what's going on? How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. It's nice Thursday. I have an off day. Um, Blue Jays aren't playing, which is they could probably use it. They've had a really hectic schedule to start the year. And so Mm -hmm. now they've gotten a few off days and hopefully they're resting up. Yeah, I hope they are too, because uh, we're going to have a familiar refrain as we go through this first segment on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. This is basically the what's up with fill-in-the-blank segment on this episode, because this Blue Jays team, as you and I were talking about before we got going, like the results aren't terrible in the win-loss column for them, but... They have a lot of guys who are underperforming, a lot of guys in this lineup who they are relying on for big numbers this season who just haven't quite done so in the first six weeks. And so we're going to run through all of them. We'll end it, though, on a positive note with one particular guy in the rotation. Let's start it out. What is up with Bo Bichette and his poor performance to start this season? Yeah, I mean, he started the year slow. I would say in the last couple of weeks, he's been coming on a little bit. I mean, he's getting his hits now. Um, The power is not necessarily there as much, though. He's not necessarily profiles as, like, the power hitter type. I think he hit a lot of home runs last year, and I don't know – if there was certain things that were that helped that a little bit, I think early on playing in Dunedin, the smaller ballpark probably helped a little bit of those numbers. But um, he's been coming along. I mean, with Bo, you're never gonna get you're never gonna get a high walk guy. Like it's just not who he is. He just needs to lean into the aggressiveness. And I've seen him come along a little bit and look more like himself. And I think like as the season goes along, his numbers are just going to be what we expect them to be. I would mm-hmm. say at this point, Bo would be of the sort of main guys that you're going to rely on. Bo's the one that I'd be like least worried about because I've seen some good progress for him over the last couple of weeks. And I feel like his numbers are ticking up. May's looked like a better month for him. Um, and so I think like with him, you could just try sort of chalk it up to like a slow start. Maybe it was the shortened spring or whatnot. But I think him, he's looked a lot more bow-like to me in the last little bit. Yeah, the of these four guys who I'm about to ask you about, uh, he is the one who I would be the least concerned about as well. Um, you know, the numbers are going to be what we expect them to be come the end of the season. Right now, 242, 283, 363 with the four homers. I think things are going to round into form for him, however. And I guess actually the way that I have this sort of, I guess, accidentally structured, it's sort of in order of, at least from my perspective, least worry to most worry. And so the next guy who comes up for me 
is Teoscar Hernandez. Uh, now, Teoscar has had injury issues so far uh, this mm-hmm. season, but still off to a slow start. 186, 238, 322, and just two homers and 63 plate appearances. So, I mean, how much of this is injury? How much of this is slow start? How much of this is just baseball is baseball and guys are going to have bad 60 PA stretches? What do you put into this? Yeah, I think with that one, it's weird because it's been sort of a start and stop season for him because like you said he's early on he was maybe getting off to a slow start and then he had the injury and now he's come back um and we've seen him put a few good swings on the ball he hit a home run in tampa that felt like a huge exhale for the Mm -hmm. team and for him um but then you know he's still not really necessarily got the timing right yet i think it'll come with him he's kind of acknowledged that it can be a bit frustrating when you come back from an oblique injury um and it can be a bit frustrating to try and find your timing and it's just you sort of just have to wait it out and with him like I think there's been a long enough track record that I think he's the guy of sort of the last two seasons that he's the guy that drives the ball he is he's won you know a silver slugger now he's a reliable hitter if you look at like the total number of um you know plate appearances like he's been one of the best hitters in the league over the last two and a half years or whatnot so i think it's going to turn around for him too I think we have to be a bit patient um with him just because you know it's it's strange because we'll probably talk about this as a whole but I feel like there's a lot of guys struggling and because of that the Blue Jays offense is struggling and so that sort of thing can sort of compound itself a little bit and make guys press even more you know both individually and as a team they're not hitting the way they want to and so I think with with Teoscar like there's definitely frustration but I think we should give him a little bit more time because he really only came back mm-hmm. from the injury like two weeks ago or whatever it was. Yeah, definitely uh, should have plenty of uh, patience uh, from the fantasy community given just the way his season has started and the on-again, off-again play because of that injury. This next guy, this is the first guy who I would say I'm a little bit worried about, and it was a big acquisition for the Blue Jays in the offseason. It's Matt Chapman, who's hitting just 185, 272, 362 in his first 147 plate appearances with the team. Does have six homers, so you can at least lean on that a little bit, but... It just hasn't been there for him in the way that we would expect it to be. And what worries me a little bit, uh, Caitlin, is the fact that this is sort of continuing a trend mm-hmm. we saw from him in, in his final season in Oakland, where it just wasn't the 2018, 2019, 2020 Matt Chapman at the plate that had us really excited about where this guy was headed. Yeah, and to some extent, he could be rounding into sort of a hybrid of those two guys. And maybe he's not going to be that sort of all around hitter. And maybe he is just going to more so lean into the power a little bit. I would say like there's numbers that are concerning about Chapman, like you laid it out there, but there's also been watching him make contact with the ball. He's put a lot of good contact on the ball. And I think if you look at sort of the raw stats, the exit velocity, the hard hit balls are still really good. So you can maybe be encouraged. I think he's one of these guys that has really uh, seen a pretty significant gap between his stats and his expected stats. And so is a little bit of that the ball that is not flying as much this year. I swear there's been so many balls where it looked like it was going out and then it just died at the warning track. And Matt Chapman has had like so many of those. Um, there's one in, I remember one in maybe New York. He's had some in Toronto. Like he finally did hit one out hard um, earlier this week against Seattle. And it felt like a long time coming. And so I know Matt Chapman has been happy with 
the sort of contact that he's making and you can hear it sometimes like he's making good contact the ball's just not going out and so um i don't know if that will tick up as the year goes on as there's been some uh thought that the you know the balls will start flying a little bit more when the weather gets warmer i would say the blue jays opened their roof finally um (laughs) earlier this week and we saw a few balls fly out that day i don't know if that's gonna help um but yeah i mean i think that maybe he's going to be more of a three true outcome type hitter maybe in his later stages not that he's old or anything but i just mean like this is a new maybe this is the sort of new guy that he is i would say that yeah the strikeouts are up uh or they're they're higher than maybe you want them but they're not as high as they were last year and he Mm -hmm. is taking some walks still so again like maybe he's just veering into being one of those like sort of true three true outcome type of guys because he can still hit the ball really hard um and you just hope that those home runs start flying out a little bit more as the weather gets warmer yeah, certainly some encouraging signs here. The double-digit walk rate, a 25%-ish strikeout rate that you can certainly live with if you're walking 10% of the time and hitting the sorts of homers that are hitting for the sort of power that we expect from Matt Chapman. So maybe something of a trade target, depending on where he sits in your league. Finally, our last What's Up With guy, Lourdes Gurriel, uh, who okay. is not doing some of the things that we would like to see from him. 227, 273, 333, two homers on the season and this is a guy who yeah i mean the the 20 homers in 2019 and just 343 plate appearances that always looked like it was going to be a little bit over his head but at this stage it feels like it would be a struggle for him to get to 20 homers in you know 600 plate appearances this year what have you seen up close lourdes is just this type of guy that has these cold streaks that are typically followed by hot streaks and i think that's where the blue jays are at right now it's like they're just hoping that this is one of his cold streaks, and he comes out of it. I would say, actually, I think his April month was not too bad. Um, And then just May has just, I don't know what's gotten into him or what's happening, but he's just not really looked like the same hitter this month. But we've seen this pattern before from him. I think last year he got off to a really slow start. And then in the second half, he was basically one of the Blue Jays' best hitters. And he was hitting everything. And he was great with men on. And, you know, every situation you could kind of rely on him to get the big hit. And so um, I guess there's, you know, the one thing that I would say is that this isn't sort of, this pattern isn't unlike what we've seen before from him. So if you stick with him, you may be able to, you know, get your money's worth later later on in the season but this is kind of who he is you kind of have to live with these long droughts because typically they're followed by um you know a really hot streak and I just want to add that I'm actually surprised that you didn't mention Vlad because um I think that with Vlad he's such a good hitter that Uh he gets his hits and you look at the line and he's you know he still takes his walks he still gets his singles but the power hasn't been there for him he's hitting a lot of balls into the ground which is not what you typically want to see he hasn't got a lot of extra base hits but I think his he's so good that like he's still on like a 15 game hitting streak or something (laughs) like that and so um I don't know what to say about him I think that he's going to come along too um and just the offense as a whole probably is going to burst out at some point we just have to wait and see when that's going to happen see that's i i don't want to sound any alarms on vlad vlad's <laughs> vlad the dude is a, a stud and like the the production the power hasn't been there quite to the extent you want we're talking over like a 460 slugging percentage something in that range right now he's going to be at 520 by the end of the year probably i, I would <laughs> i would bet on vlad finding a way out of it like yes. he's you know, by spending enough time around him, he, you, you just, you see the work that he puts in and how much he cares and how mm-hmm. much he wants 
the team to do well. And so I would bet on, as you say, Vlad, by the end of the season, his numbers are going to look what we would expect them to be. Yeah, I feel very comfortable assuming that Vlad is going to be Vlad for the remaining uh, remainder of the season. And I feel that same way about a couple of pitchers, actually. I, I When we first started, I was just going to bring up one, but I, I got to do a little bit of a mea culpa because I was out on Kevin Gosman coming into mm. the season. I just thought the move from NL West to AL East, the move from San Francisco to Toronto, wasn't quite buying necessarily that he was going to be able to carry over what was a late career or mid to late career breakout in San Francisco to Toronto, and he has just been excellent this season. The guy who I originally wanted to bring up, the guy who I was all in on coming into this year, Alec Manoa, and these two guys totally carrying the rotation for Toronto right now. So again, I mean, from, from your up-close uh, view, what have you seen from these two guys? I mean, I would say I didn't know a ton about Kevin Gosman because it's been a while since he's pitched in the AL East and he was a different guy then. And then I don't spend a lot of time watching the NL West because like the time difference and all that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I have been, it's been such a pleasure to watch Kevin Gosman work in some respects because, you know, the splitter and the fastball is just, it's incredible to see some of the swings and misses that he gets on that split. It's just so fun to watch a guy go out there and be so dominant the way that he's been. And I think some people forget like where there's so much attention on the splitter, but he throws the fastball really hard. He's like, you know, 94, 95, 96 consistently. Um, And so that's really impressive to me. The command has been something that um, has been especially impressive from him. I mean, he went, uh, I can't remember how many, um, how many games it was, but his first stretch of starts, he didn't issue a walk. He's really only issued a handful of walks at this point. Um, he allowed his first home run of the year um, on Wednesday's game, which um, was funny because it was like it was like Seattle's number nine hitter. Um, it was like didn't have that on the board, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, Kevin Gosman's been great. He's really fit into the Blue Jays rotation perfectly. I mean, everybody the sort of thinking was that he's going to take the place of Robbie Ray, and um, at this point, he's out pitching Robbie Ray um, out in Seattle, and he just looks like he's um, totally a guy to carry this rotation. Um, and then the other good thing about him is that he pitches deep. You know, even when he struggles mm-hmm. a little bit against Seattle, you know he got his pitch count up but he still pitched six innings and that's what you want from him and then Alec Manoa of course there's somewhat questions of like can he follow up on that rookie season he was so incredible in his rookie season when he came up um, at the end of May and he looked like a guy that was like a major league veteran right he just Mm -hmm. is not afraid on the mound he's so competitive he's so you know confident in himself and his stuff and this has just completely carried over into his second year and I know talking to Alec a lot of um, you know, there's questions like, are guys going to know you better? Like, our hitters going to kind of have studied you. They're going to know you better. And his response is always, okay, but I know them better. Like, I know how to get them out. And so that confidence um, is definitely carried over from uh, last year to this year. And he's been, you know, he's been great. He's been especially impressive about against, like, division rival. He's pitched really well against the Yankees. He pitches well against the Rays, um, pitches well against the Red Sox. Like, he's just been very, very good. And, like, um, you know, I think this, like, I think like the Blue Jays didn't necessarily know what they were going to get at the time, but at this point, you're right. Like it's like it's uh, Manoa and Gosman at the top of the rotation. Mm-hmm. You know, assuming the Blue Jays get there, like they they look like they're going to be really comfortable in a short playoff series with you. You saw it in Barrios as well, and Kikuchi's been. You know, you want to talk about somebody that's made some changes and is really embracing his time with the Blue Jays, Kikuchi. Um, has looked like uh, sort of the best version of himself in the last couple of starts with the Blue Jays. 
Yeah, coming into this uh, this season, I called this a rotation of twos and threes, and didn't necessarily see a for sure locked in one. And maybe that's uh, maybe that's being totally put to bed with the way that we've seen Gosman and Alec Manoa pitch. And maybe we're talking about more a rotation with a couple of ones or a one and a one and a half, something like that. These guys both looking the part and definitely looking like they can lead a potentially resurgent Blue Jays team, a team that uh, maybe feels a little lucky to be in the position it's in, but still a ton of talent. A team I would expect to hear a whole lot from the rest of the season. And into October, that is Caitlin McGrath, Blue Jays beat writer here at The Athletic. Caitlin, thanks again for being with us on The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. We move along in this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast, our beat writer Thursday. Joining us now, Will Salmon. Will, of course, covers the Milwaukee Brewers for us here at The Athletic. A lot to talk about with the Brewers. Let's jump on in. Will, how's it going? Good, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Brewers are always a fun team to chat about. Yeah, they they really are, and they're they're giving us, I would say, at least from my perspective, as I see it, as I sit here, some unexpected storylines on this team. I, I had a feeling we would have plenty to talk about by the time we were what halfway into May this season, but not exactly what I thought we would necessarily be talking about with this team. So let's start out with a guy who actually had sort of a shaky first, what, six, seven weeks of the season or so, and that's Brandon Woodruff, uh, someone who I did not think I would be saying that about uh, at this point of the season. But here we are on Woodruff. He's had really just one standout strikeout game uh, of the season, and that came against the Pirates. The ERA sitting above five, and sure, the uh, peripherals suggest that it should be better, but it just it really hasn't been the sort of Brandon Woodruff season we've seen over the last two years. So uh, up close and personal, what have you seen that has led to the results not quite measuring up with the pitcher we know that he is? Well, you're absolutely right in your description of him. He's usually as consistent as he gets. He's the guy in that rotation that behind Corbin Burns, you more or less know what you're going to get. It's going to probably be about six innings, a couple of runs, a handful of strikeouts, maybe a walk. That's about it. You know, a few hits. Mm -hmm. 
it's just going to be a typical Brandon Woodruff start. And like you alluded to, we just haven't really seen a whole lot of that. It's been very inconsistent. It's been a good start one week, and then he'll either lose command, which is not something that we're used to saying about Brandon Woodruff, or there'll be a little bit of bad luck involved. And it, for whatever reason, it will just not be that great of a start. And so it's just been up and down. Uh, when he has had guys on base, that's usually led to runs. Um, you, and that can be kind of fluky. Um, that I think he has like a left on base rate, according to fan graphs, of something like 60%, which is very, very low, especially for him. Like he's usually very good with guys on base. He's somebody that could get some ground balls and can kind of get out of jams. And I think we're seeing that reflected, like you said, in some of the underlying statistics. Like his FIP is still pretty solid. I think it's around 375 Something along those lines, which is yeah, drastically different. Three seven two, basically nailed. Yeah, it. so it's basically it's a lot different than his ERA, right? So mm-hmm. I would think that he'll turn things around. I liked what I saw from his uh, start against the Marlins last week. I wasn't in Miami, so I actually watched that a little bit on TV. And sometimes you could kind of see the game better on TV than say mm-hmm. in the stands, particularly like when you're trying to watch a pitcher. And so I, I kind of liked what I saw there. There have been some games where his sinker was just has just been really flat, like not a whole lot of movement on it. And that, he's somebody that needs his fastball. We all know that. As good as he's made his secondary pitches and some of his off-speed offerings, um, he's somebody that relies still on his fastball. He throws it more than more than his other pitches, and it's his best stuff. Um, so he needs that pitch and. I think he's going to turn it around. You know, the walk rate's been going down a little bit, still higher than he wants it to be. Um, The home runs, the hard hit rate, all that's been a little bit higher than usual too. So it's not just like bad luck. Like he's got to start missing some barrels more often, I feel like. Um, And that like is kind of goes hand in hand with what I said about his sinker. I think when that becomes a better pitch, that two seam fastball, we'll see things kind of click back for him. And it's probably just a matter of some small mechanical fixes that he has to make. Playing the role of Brandon Woodruff in the Brewers rotation thus far this season has been Eric Lauer, who is just pitching much better than we've ever seen him, whether it was previously in Milwaukee, San Diego, any point of his career, we have never, ever seen this version of Eric Lauer, a K rate of 35.5%, a walk rate of 5.8%, the ERA 2.6, the whip has been low one. What's working so well for him this season? Oh, so many things. I think it all starts for him with the four-seam fastball. He's getting a lot of swings and misses on that pitch, particularly when he throws it in the strike zone. And I think that's the sign of a really good pitcher, and that's the sign of a strikeout pitcher, mm-hmm. when you can get swing and miss off your fastball. And that's exactly what we're seeing from Eric Lauer. And he's a left-handed guy, and he's up there in velocity as well, so it all looks really good. Um, the velocity uptick is one thing that people should know about, and it's real. Um, it's something that's been sustainable for him. He's now somebody that you can kind of look at and say, okay, this guy's going to throw 95, 96, um, as opposed to the mediocrity that we were seeing as far as fastballs go previously, particularly with his days with the Padres, when it was like a, a 92, no, do-nothing fastball that just wasn't really enticing to hitters and at, when it was out of the zone and – it was a pitch that was hittable when it was in the zone. Uh, with the Brewers, he switched a lot of things up. He switched up his mechanics, his, his uh, release points a little bit different, um, shorter arm action with him. If, I think there's been some videos out there just kind of comparing, contrasting the way it looks from the Padres. And with the Brewers, sometimes like when there's that um, overlap, it's a little bit hard to tell. So I would encourage people to just look at the videos um, and compare them individually because I think that gives you a better idea of like how different things look. 
He's a he's a, he's always been an athletic guy, but he's he's gotten such really good shape, um, and he's been able to kind of maintain that as well. And I think that kind of just goes with some maturity. Uh, he's learning how to pitch. There's a lot of good things. I get a lot of mm-hmm. questions about Eric Lauer, and my advice and for fantasy purposes is always just to hold on to him because I think like particularly like in in drafts and like fantasy leagues that like have like those round value attached to players. Like he's somebody that I really do believe in. I think that they they've really found something here. The Brewers have a very strong reputation for yep. developing pitchers, mm-hmm. and so he's in the right organization for this. And long story short, I, I just don't think it's a fluke. We saw it in the second half last year, and in my head I said, okay, this guy now has to prove it. Not only has he proven it, he's done a better job in 2022. Yeah, there are a handful of organizations that we definitely sort of just inherently trust uh, when a pitcher goes there and makes some improvements. Milwaukee, Cleveland, Minnesota, certainly among those teams. And so it's good to see Eric Lauer following that same sort of trend line this season. Definitely believe in the uh, results that he's been getting this season, that it's based on some substantive and sustainable changes that he has made this year. How about Christian Yelich? Uh, things have looked pretty decent for him over the last couple of weeks. You go over uh, those last uh, those last two weeks, 14 games played, 273, 365, 491, a couple of homers, four doubles, seven walks against 13 strikeouts. I mean, you know, the, the MVP days, they're probably not coming back, but can this be something he sustains for the season, a level of this performance that we've seen recently? Yeah, I think so. I think well, if you say to yourself, is this a guy that's going to maybe hit between 15 to maybe 20 home runs, 25 absolute max probably, he'll probably steal around 15 bases for you too, it looks like. He's already got five, I think. Um, and that's okay. Like it's not yeah. MVP numbers by <laughs> any means, but it's, it's solid, right? Like it's not somebody that like if you're in fantasy, like are you going to be happy with that production from a first or second round pick? No, but hopefully you didn't take Christian Yelich yeah. in the first or second round this past year. <laughs> um, yeah, so and I think the Brewers have kind of similar expectations in that sense. You know, sure, they gave him that large contract uh, a couple of years ago, but it's been a couple of years now. So uh, we kind of gotten sort of used to seeing the numbers be less than far less than what they were in 2019 2018 and so now he's on pace to to do a lot better than last year which i think the brewers would have signed up for um blindly if you gave gave them that option right like that's you know last year was just not uh, frankly just not really acceptable like it was a below average and that's not good enough he has to be at least a little bit above average of a player for you to for this to function for this to work he has to be a, a steady contributor and i think we're seeing balls hit hard which has kind of always been the case with christian um like mm-hmm. he, he's somebody that's going to hit balls hard of course but the difference here um maybe the last handful last three or four games aside um, because we've seen it revert back a little bit. But before that, it wasn't the hard ground ball to second base, to the second baseman that has absolutely no chance of being a hit. Um, so it's like, okay, it's great that he hit it 100 miles an hour, but there was zero, zero point zero percent chance of that ever being a base <laughs> hit. Like, let's be real. Um, so, like, let's not get too excited about that. But he actually has – he's lifted the ball a lot more. Um, this year compared to last year his launch angle is higher his fly ball rate is actually pretty similar to what it was in 2019 uh, believe it or not it's around 30 percent or so 35 percent if i'm not mistaken so that's a good sign that 
maybe he'll will hit like closer to fit, closer to 20 home runs than say 15 or something like that um so th- it kind of depends on what your expectations are for him if, if that sounds good enough for you but i think the projections heading into the season um just from like say the fan graphs of the world and other places it's pretty in line with what he's with what he's on pace for i feel like because people were kind of penciling him in for Numbers similar to like what he was with the Marlins in say 2017, 2016, that 15 home runs, 270 average kind of guy. Um, good, not great kind of thing. Um, solid across the board. That's pretty been pretty much what he's been. Yeah, and to that point, in 2017, his last year with Miami, a 117 weighted runs created plus. So far this year, 116. So sort of right in line with the guy that he was in Miami. How about Aaron Ashby, a guy who I imagine you get a lot of questions about too, because it's an he he's a fa- he's really a fun player, right? I mean, the, he can do a lot of different things for the Brewers. He can play that high leverage reliever role that uh, is so valuable, especially for a team that's as good as Milwaukee. He has started three games this season as well, so he can do that for them. They can bounce him around. They can use him in a number of different ways. What do you see the 2022 rest of season role being for him? Basically, like what we've seen, like they they like him in this kind of, I call it like more of a swing role, but it's really defined actually. Like when you dig into it, it's not like he's like a reliever who sometimes starts games and like maybe he'll get called up in the bullpen two two or three times a week and the other times it's, it's pretty... It's a lot more scheduled than that, actually. If you look at, say, his game logs, like if you own Aaron Ashby in fantasy, I really encourage you if you're kind of trying to decide what to do with him and if you don't like his usage, I don't think it's going to change, barring an injury. An injury, of course, would change things. He would be their fifth starter and it would be more of a regular kind of rotation status. But right now, if you look, he's pitching pretty much every fifth day or sixth day, whether it's in the bullpen or as a starter. And that's it. He's going to get you. He's going to get his three, four, five, six innings, um, whether it's coming in the bullpen or whether it's starting. But it's going to be on that day. It's like the same as a starter schedule, except except for the fact that there are some times where he's going to do it out of the bullpen. And so, the splits are better when he comes out of the bullpen. Um, but I'm not really sure that that means much to the Brewers going forward. I think that they. I actually I know that they still feel like. He is a starter long term and even in the short term, like that's he's a starting pitcher. Um, so I wouldn't worry too much about that. Uh, the stuff is undeniable. The Brewers love him. Um, they think very, very highly of him. He's the name that comes up in trade conversations every single time. And they obviously still have him on their team. And that's for a reason. Uh, they believe very much in him. Uh, he gets a ton of strikeouts, ton of swing and miss when he's on. Sometimes the command has been a little bit iffy. But when you have stuff like that, I think that's kind of to be expected almost because it's like that's the thing that, you know, you just don't have a whole lot of control over that sometimes. You know, the stuff is going to be the stuff I always feel like. Like if you throw 95, if you throw 96, chances are you're going to do that every time or at least it's going to be very similar. The movement is going to be pretty similar. But it just kind of depends on like how you're feeling that day sometimes as far as command goes. And there have been days where it just hasn't been that good for him. Um, but he's going to give you some length when he's in there. Uh, you know, last time out against the Marlins, he actually pitched behind Woodruff in sort of like a tandem um, situation. Then he threw four innings, and it was four perfect innings, mind you, and he had eight strikeouts. And so I think that kind of tells you all you need to know about how good he is. It's just a matter of how many chances he'll get. And like I said, barring an injury, it, it's probably going to be like this because there's really no reason for the Brewers to change 
course here with all these guys rolling the way they are. Um, I know I say rolling in the way they are, all of them, with after just talking about Woodruff, but the expectation is that he'll be just fine as well. Yeah, I definitely think he gets back. And Aaron Ashby, a guy who, if you if he's already relevant in your league, a guy who I would tend to hold on to just because of that strikeout stuff. It's just something you're not going to find in a whole lot of other places. And as you said, we know that we're going to get him out there once every five, six days, something like that. A guy who we've been seeing quite a bit more than that for Milwaukee is Jace Peterson. The playing time has been there, and he's got an interesting power-speed combo so long as he's getting that playing time. A guy who could probably give you double-digit homers, 15, 18 steals like that if he's getting the playing time. That playing time that we have been seeing for him, is that something consistent enough, something we can bank on being there for him probably not in the long term but in the short term yes because early in the season he was filling in for Luis Arias who was out with a with a quad injury for the first month of the season and so he was seeing most of the platoon because he's a left-handed bat so he was starting against right-handed pitchers and obviously that's the majority of starts and now with Willie Adamas on the injured list because of a high ankle sprain they're going to move Luis Arias to shortstop, and then their third base position becomes open yet again um, for the taking for Jace Peterson. Um, as far as Adamas goes, I think I was basically told to expect him to be out a little bit more than the minimum required stay, but they'll know more about that next week uh, because of the nature of just high ankle sprains can be a little bit tricky. So in the meantime, you know, I, I really do like Jace Peterson too for, for those reasons. They're letting him steal bases. He's a smart base runner. Um, he doesn't have like the craziest speed, but he, he knows when to go and he's usually right. He picks his spots and he comes up successful more often than not. Um, and the big thing about Jace Peterson, um, besides like a little bit of power is that he gets on base. So if you're in a league that like you need on base percentage help for, for a week or two, pick him up because he's going to probably play. Um, and he's going to get on base. Like that's the thing. He, he has a tremendous eye, really good discipline. He's going to give you like what, People love to say a professional at bat around here, uh, but it's accurate. You know, like that's what he does. He, he's gonna try really hard, and he's gonna—he's one of those all-effort guys. Every every at bat, so he sees a lot of pitches, gets on. Good guy to have. I will say though that Craig Council made the point after yesterday's game, after Wednesday's game, that they're probably gonna see that they expect to see a little bit more left-handed pitching coming up. Um, so that may mean more time for Keston Hira, and it may mean more time for Mike Brasso at their base, actually, for the next few days. But we'll see. I mean, other teams' plans can change. That's absolutely true. Will Salmon, Milwaukee Brewers beat writer here at The Athletic. Will, thanks again for being with us on the Fantasy Baseball Pod. Oh, yeah, of course, man. I enjoy it anytime. Okay, we move on to our third and final beat writer on this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Aaron Gleeman, who covers the Minnesota Twins for us here at the Athletic. Aaron, what's going on, man? How you doing? Not much. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Minnesota Twins. It's uh, we got a lot to talk about with this team. I think the in in. Real-life baseball circles and fantasy baseball circles, the talk right now is Carlos Correa back, which meant surprisingly, at least to some of us a little bit, Royce Lewis back down to the AAA level. As you see it right now as it stands, what's the team's 2022 plan for Royce Lewis? It's interesting because I think when Correa got hurt, the fear was it was going to be a two- or three-month injury. It ended up being a two-week injury. And so they called Royce Lewis up, and he was going to fill in for however long it, it ended up being. What happened was the plan was he was going to fill in, then he was going to go back to AAA. Well, he hit a grand slam. He hit another homer. <laughs> he played pretty well defensively. He just looked like he belonged. And uh-huh. so that's really all that changed. Is Royce Lewis looked healthy and very, very good. 
Uh, I thought maybe they were going to keep him around as a utility man. They ended up sending him back to AAA, like you said. Uh, I just looked. He's in the starting lineup uh, already back at AAA, so he's reported. There was some concern, which is kind of silly if you know his personality, that he might be upset about this. Uh, but I think he is going to play mostly shortstop now at AAA. But they have said, unlike in the past, they are going to move him around a little bit, maybe some third base, maybe some left field, maybe some center field, because the idea basically is Carlos Correa is going to be the starting shortstop this season for every game he's healthy. Mm -hmm. Is there a way for Royce Lewis to play alongside of him instead of just in place of him? Because that's so limiting in terms of opportunity. So I do think, you know, if Royce Lewis keeps playing well at AAA, bounces around the diamond a little bit, he could come back up. It might only be two or three weeks. It could be a month and fill sort of a super utility role. He also might just be first in line if someone were to get injured at a different spot. I would love to see him back with the Twins and sooner rather than later. It's always exciting when a guy like that comes up, but uh, to come up and then do as well as he did, would definitely like to see him back in a Twins uniform. Real life fantasy, whatever the case may be, would good, be good to see him alongside Carlos Correa in some way and not just filling in for Carlos Correa. How about Joe Ryan, a, a guy who in, in 26 and two-thirds last year, you know, like it was uh, impressive enough 26 and two-thirds innings for him, but still not really sure exactly what to expect for him coming into 2022 as a locked-in member of this Minnesota rotation. And he's looked the part. 2.39 ERA, the peripherals bear out that he's basically earning uh, that low ERA, maybe a little bit better than the peripherals suggest, but still, he's definitely uh, earned those results that he has gotten so far this season. Uh, what's behind the early season success for him? He's been really impressive. When they acquired him in the Nelson Cruz trade with Tampa Bay last July, the scouting reports were you know, great fastball, kind of a deceptive delivery with the low three-quarter slot and all that. But everybody had questions about the off-speed stuff. I've been very impressed with the off-speed stuff. I thought, like you said, in the in the innings last year, the changeup played pretty well. I thought the slider and the curveball played. And this year, they're even more improved. I think especially the slider against righties has become a real weapon, getting tons of swings and misses. And I think that's the biggest key for him because he can locate his fastball. He throws strikes. I think he's going to be a fly ball guy, so he's going to be a little susceptible to home runs. Uh, and maybe the possibility of a couple starts where he gives up a couple of you know multi-run homers and it turns into a mess. But for the most part, he's you know 10, 12 starts into his big big league career. He's been super consistent, pounds the strike zone, and I think while he may not be among the league leaders in strikeouts, I think his strikeout rate is going to be much higher than if you just look at the low 90s fastball velocity. Definitely a really nice start uh, to this season for Joe Ryan. and something that the uh, the Twins need, given the injuries that they've had in the rotation. You knew Kenta Maeda coming into the year uh, with the Tommy John. And now Chris Paddock, guy they trade for right before the start of the season. He, too, done for the year because of Tommy John surgery. Uh, Bailey Ober on the aisle, Randy Dobnik on the 60-day. How do we fill the rotation holes that are here for the Twins? One guy they've... Pushed into a more prominent spot is Josh Winder, who's one of their top pitching prospects, made the Futures game last year, uh, started the year in long relief, but like you said, they've been dropping like flies in the rotation. Uh, so he's had to make three starts already. I think he may bounce back and forth between roles, but basically he's going to be the go-to guy if they're short in the rotation. Uh, they also have a starter who's starting tonight at AAA named Jordan Balazovic, who's actually their best uh, pitching prospect, missed the beginning of the year with a minor injury. If he gets on a roll at AAA, he could enter the picture a little bit too. But yeah, like you said with Paddock, he's done for the year. Uh, they're going to be getting Bailey Ober back. They got Dylan Bundy back from the COVID list. And then Joe Ryan, they're going to be leaning on a lot. Sonny Gray is sort of the veteran right now in the rotation by default, the leader of the rotation. They've been 
above and beyond any sort of reasonable expectation for how good the rotation would be. Uh, but they could run into potentially some depth issues. They're basically going to need Winder, Balazovic, and some of their other young guys to step up because those are the in-season depth moves that they can make. Let's look at the bullpen for a second here. You've got uh, at least four guys by my count with at least one save on the season. It's Emilio Pagan leading the way with five saves, and it seems like he is as much of a dedicated closer as Rocco Baldelli is going to have. He got the save on Sunday. Very next day, Tyler Duffy comes out and gets the save, but, I mean, Pagan had worked a bunch of days in a row leading up to that. Can we assume that it's maybe not a 100% of the save situations for Emilio Pagan, but the large bulk of the save situations for him? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think by the end of the year, Duran is going to be the primary closer. Oh. I think, but what he, I mean, his, his stuff is just too good, too mm-hmm. overwhelming uh, to ignore at some point. But I think for now, in part because he's untested, and in part because they don't want to use him like a traditional reliever. Back to back days, two out of three days. And so what you end up with is what you described, which is he sort of alternates in a way with Pagan. They were meaning to do that with Tyler Duffy early in the season, but he blew the first save that he got. So he got kind of pushed down the hierarchy of the bullpen, and he's had to work his way back up there. I do think Duran is going to end up leading the team in saves, but like you said, Rocco Baldelli tends not to have a 30-40 save closer, even when he had Taylor Rogers, even when he had Colome in the past, Sergio Romo. They like to alternate. So if I'm trying to project a save total for these guys, I think something in the 20s, maybe for Duran, Something in the high teens, uh, maybe for Pagan and or T- Tyler Duffy if he reemerges. But it's a it's a spot where you're gonna want Duran because I think he has more upside for saves and just huge upside for strikeout totals. All right, one more guy who I want to ask you about. I'm pretty sure there's written somewhere in a fantasy baseball constitution that maybe exists, maybe doesn't, that you can't have a fantasy show and talk about the Twins and not at least bring up Byron Buxton. So let's talk about Byron Buxton for a second here, hitting for a ton of pop, as we all know, 11 homers on the year. Just one steal. And obviously, if if Byron Buxton's goal is to steal 50 bases in a season, Byron Buxton could steal 50 bases in a season. But his goal is to be healthy and actually play something of a full season. So is that just what things are going to be for him? We're just not going to see a ton of running to keep him healthy? I think so. I mean, just stylistically, think of where he was at like five years ago. The hope was he was going to be this 50 steal guy. And could he contribute a little bit as a hitter? And now he's potentially a 40 homer guy. And we're talking about, is he going to steal double digit bases? So I think the injury stuff is definitely a factor in that. It's just they have to look at him and say, what is the risk reward here of him potentially? He's, I think he's one of the three best, most efficient base dealers in the history of baseball. He's almost like 85, 90 percent. Like you said, he could steal 40 bases if he wanted to. It's just a matter of do they want him sliding into that many bases? Do they want him running like that? And the other thing is he's sort of rarely on first base. He doesn't draw that many walks. I realize this sounds absurd, but he hits a lot of doubles and a ton of homers. Doesn't hit that many singles. Uh, he never, by the way, I think he has one career steal of third base. He, he never even tries to steal third base. Uh, so I think that's been limiting too. But yeah, I think if you're a fantasy owner and you are thinking of him the way you did when he first came up as this potential you know, high steal guy, I think the focus should be on the fact that he's just hitting bombs all the time. And if you can get 10 or 15 steals from him... Uh, it's kind of a bonus at this point. 
Yeah, I think we'll I think we'll trade that. I think we'll take the uh, the thirty five forty homer season with ten steals rather than uh, a little bit less than that in the power department twenty five thirty steals. I think we will all live with that. And certainly, all we really care about is let's keep this dude healthy because one of the special players in the league when he is healthy. That's Aaron Gleeman, Minnesota Twins beat writer here at the Athletic. Aaron, thanks again for being with us on the Fantasy Baseball Pod. Anytime, thanks for having me. And all right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast as well. So for our beat writers, Aaron Gleeman, Will Salmon, Caitlin McGrath, I am Michael Beller. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be talking to you soon. See you.